Shelton. It's Daner and Jay. Today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground, founded by Visa, a network working for everyone. Paul Daner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here working for you. What's up, Jay? Hey, we, we made it. It is playoff week. It's It's been a long time since we've had one of these. Our first time as employees of The Athletic. I just, I'm looking forward to this. This is normally mock draft season, locker cleanout season. Um, this This is a little more interesting to be talking about a playoff game. We are talking about a playoff game, of course. Uh, Bengals hosting the Raiders at 4.30 p.m. Saturday at Paul Brown Stadium, of which if you're listening to this podcast, you are very much aware and perhaps already holding tickets inside of your phone. Uh, so a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation for the game. We're going to kind of run the gamut this week. Of course, we had, if you didn't listen yesterday, we had uh, our live Q&A podcast, which is up now. You can go back and listen to that. We kind of discussed a little bit of the things on your mind. And uh, we, we're going to kind of start getting focused on the game a little bit, but there's a, there's a lot going on. We're going to bring in our good friend Mo Egger from ESPN 1530, and we're not going to even talk about his tweets. It's <laughs> That's how big this game is. We're just throwing the, t- the tweets out the window. We're just saying let's let's talk about this game. I think a, a really good conversation there about perspective on this game. bunch of news. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about really what I think is the most, it really where this game is going to be decided. Uh, for the Bengals. We're going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, we have a Bengals growler bet recap and some other fun topics to discuss. Run passer boots from Jay. A lot of good stuff coming your way. Let's start with news. Um, everybody back off the COVID list. The big COVID stash ruse of 2022 <laughs> uh, has completed where everybody got tested that wasn't going to play anyway. And a bunch of them turned up positives, so they could just how about that? Then it happened to clear spots for extra practice squad players to come up. It's just amazing how that worked out, Jay. It was almost like it was scripted. Almost. It's like it's almost like it was on purpose that you would have all those players turn up positives and then come right back on Monday of the playoff week. It's it's really weird. Almost advantageous for the Bengals that that happened that way, huh? Well, Everybody it is, and as, long, as long as nobody goes on today, because they do the random testing on Monday. So you, you know, I, I would imagine by noon today we will know. And, and as you've mentioned many times, they are not looking to quote unquote randomly test stars. So it's it it, it, it doesn't feels, appear that way. Yeah, I, I don't know that it right. does not appear that way. And it it. it that's the that's the key. You get past this afternoon, and then you feel really good because I'm not sure anybody's going to self-report some sniffles on a playoff week. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't think so. Uh, but so, yeah, a host of Bengals come back off the COVID list, and uh, so every everybody is is essentially back now. They are pretty close to fully healthy. As far as those that are injured, we're, we're wondering about um, – Quentin Spain, Jalen Davis, Cam Sample, all three of those. Um, Zach Taylor said he's optimistic about getting them back into practice on Tuesday, today, Tuesday, um, and seeing how they look there. So I think they're going to give them a little run, see how it responds, and then kind of make some decisions at that point uh, on to where they're going to be at. Akeem is still kind of shrouded in mystery a little bit. If that will end up the same, I would 
anticipate him probably participating in a limit. I think that would be a good sign if he showed up as a limited participant on Tuesday. Again, that practice is this afternoon. Everything a day early this week with the Saturday game. So everything's kind of a weird off schedule a little bit on terms of where it normally is. So we'll know this afternoon. A little bit more about all those people. Xavier Suafilo is still in the 21-day window. So theoretically, if Adenogy wasn't healthy, um, if Spain couldn't go, you have the ability to promote him. And you could be happy with, you know, you could at least have another replacement with a veteran that could come in for you. Um, Josh Tupo is going to be out for an extended amount of time, dubbed week to week. Uh, but the rosy side of that was how good Mike Daniels looked on Sunday. He looked like one of the best players on the field. He looked like a fresh impact veteran. And it's kind of a, it's almost been amazing. The defensive line room hasn't hardly had any injuries this year. Um, and you, you assumed at some point Mike Daniels was going to come off that practice squad and play a big role, but it really hadn't happened. It's almost for the best. Now you get a very, very, very fresh Mike Daniels to come and try to give you a little something in that Josh Tupo role. Yeah, and that that was a, as we've talked about, meaningless preseason type of game. But the Browns started their offensive linemen, and they have a they Nick Chubb played, and Deionis Johnson is maybe one of the the best backup running backs in the league. That is a quality quality rushing attack, and Mike Daniels did look really good. He may have been the the star of that game. He he. He did look fresh, and this is it for him. I mean, he he very well may be retiring at the end of this year. He's he says he's no. Not, he, he says, says no. He says okay. No. All well, right. He well. said no to my tweet. I which I want to discuss, but finish your thought. Sorry. <laughs> okay, but I mean, the point is, he is still getting up there in age, and it is it, it is very advantageous to have a guy with with quality. Suafilo's in this boat too, a veteran with playoff experience that you can count on. In a pinch, Suafilo, December 29th. So they've they've got one more week to decide on him. But if he's if he, most of the time when these guys open the window, they're back within a week. So I would think even if it's a depth piece, there's a good chance they activate him this week too. So having both those guys back just for veteran leadership and playoff experience, if nothing else, is just one more advantage that the Bengals are going to have this week. About Mike Daniels. So <laughs> I I did I did tweet during the game. Uh, you know, his profile, a guy who's 32 years old, who wasn't really signed, you know, until later in the period and then spent the whole season on the practice squad. The profile of that type of player is one that might be retiring after this year. I pointed that out. And at the end of that tweet said, but one, he looks like he's having as much fun as anybody. And two, does not look washed up at all. Mm hmm. Somehow people didn't have, I guess, the patience to read to the end of a tweet and <laughs> thought that I was basically retiring Mike Daniels. He also subtweeted it with no, essentially saying he's not retiring. And that forced some people, I think, to turn on me, too. I just want to quantify. I thought that was a complimentary tweet I was trying to make of Mike Daniels. I apologize that it didn't come off that way. Uh, I was trying to point out that he does not look like somebody that should be retiring. Uh, but everybody thought it meant that I was saying Mike Daniels stinks and should retire, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I apologize if that came out the wrong way. Uh, but 
my point was what I just said. He does not look like somebody that is washed up or should be retiring anytime yeah. soon when you watch the way that he played on Sunday. The Browns were not playing all their backups. They were playing their starters, and uh, he looked like a starting player for certain and one that you're happy that you have on your team right now. Um, let's. I, I want to start here um, before we go and get into our conversation with, with Mo and, and do some other things. Look, this game... I think is essentially going to come down to the area that Bengals fans knew playoff games were all going to come down to for them. It's going to be about if this offensive line can hold up, but no more so than this matchup. You know, it's the, the Raiders turn on the film and they say, all we got to do is, is dominate up front against Isaiah Prince and Kima Deneji maybe and maybe Jackson Carmen and have our guys beat them up and get to Burrow consistently and we can win this game. And that's what they're saying. And and if you have Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, why wouldn't you feel that you can do that? And that's the scary thing for the Bengals is going to be the Raiders are going to bring four. They're going to drop back into their deep Seattle shell and try to get to Burrow and force you to not get the explosive plays off. Can this line give Burrow enough time to pick them apart consistently? Or will he spend all day on his back? I mean, that's, to me, the question uh, of the game, of the game, matchup of the game. I think it falls somewhere in between there. I mean, I, I don't see him spending all day on his back, but I also don't see this line keeping him completely clean against that defensive line, but you don't need to. I mean, you look, he's having a terrific year and he got sacked 51 times. I mean, that's, he, he got sacked multiple times over and over again. I, I think we're at eight games in a row, nine games in a row where he's been sacked multiple times. So it's not like if he gets, if you let those the Raiders edge rushers or even the D tackles get through and get three or four hits on Burrow. It's not like it's going to rattle him and he's going to have a terrible game that, that the, the nightmare scenario would be if it happens over and over and over again. And we just, we haven't seen that. This isn't the greatest offensive line, but it's, it's not a, it's not just a, a total bunch of five cardboard cutouts either. They're, they're going to hold up enough times you would feel and the Bengals have enough in the playbook to to slow down and work around that even if it is becoming an issue with with screens and other ways running mix and I just I don't I can't see it being a situation where Pittsburgh and Burroughs rookie year Baltimore and Burroughs rookie year where he was just getting hit over and over and over again you don't want him hit at all but you have to kind of face reality that it is going to happen a few times and it's it's not going to rattle him. I mean, this was the full circleness of this week is just wild on a number of different <laughs> levels. And I'm not talking about the Raiders and the Curse of Bo. I'm talking about where the conversation started in April mm -hmm. and started back in March. It was how, what is the most effective way for this team to win? Is it to have receivers that can win quickly? and be dominant on the edge, and a line that has no donkeys, that can be okay enough, that could be average to below average? Or was it to try to shore up a line that needs to, that can be great 
and have less explosiveness on the outside. We've ended up back here again. <laughs> We've come all the way back, Jay. It's good. It's good to be back at, at start. It's like Monopoly, right? We're back at start again. Uh, I've lost my $200. I'm, we get no. We do not collect two hundred dollars. You're, you're going directly to jail if I know you. So <laughs> I, I'll say this: I I think that that philosophy is going to have to play itself out, and they're going to have to trust it, right? I mean, you're going to have to trust the philosophy that you invested in from the beginning, and that is Burrow's pocket presence has been an absolute offsetting superpower for the crappiness of your offensive line and pass protection. You have schemed around it when you've needed to, you know, and and your receivers have been dominant. And, and Burrow is confident to recognize what's happening. Throw. We talked to Brian Callahan yesterday, and we talked about how look the Raiders. I mean, I, I you kind of know what you're getting yourself into here. They're going to bring four. They're not going to blitz, and both of those things are you know play to the Raiders' strength and and. Blitzing Burrow has been how he's ripped people up all year. Because you blitz him, you expose yourself to one-on-one on the backside, and he finds it quickly, and those guys win. The Raiders aren't going to let that happen. you know. And so you got to learn to find other ways to do it and, and offset it. And they've been much better against zone coverage. We've written about that. I've written about that, and we've tracked that over the course of, of the last month or two, really since – about that San Francisco game, and you know, maybe a little before that, we've seen him take a big jump where Burrow's far and away the best in the league against man, and it took a while for him to get better against zone. Um, they have a lot of lot more confidence in their game against zone. He has a lot more confidence in himself scrambling and avoiding pressure in the pocket than he did the last time they played the Raiders. Those can be the difference makers, and you're really going to have to count on those because this line is not going to hold up that great. It's it's gonna look like it's probably looked the last month with some some muddy ass pockets. Yeah, the thing is, you, the the blitz thing is really important that you mentioned that the Raiders dead last in the league, twelve point eight percent of the time they blitz. Next next fewest is Eagles at seventeen point two percent. So, <laughs> not w- what it's not happening, and and that's that's the thing you worry about is a free runner getting a big shot on burrow and and maybe that right knee twist again or he just he takes a hit that's going to affect him and that's where the free runners come from or on missed assignments on on blitzes and so that you you're almost taking that off the table now yes the, this offensive line is probably they're going to lose some one-on-ones and you you can still get a free runner off of that but it's not it's not the classic case that you where I think you're most concerned and even if it does happen if if Max Crosby puts one of those crazy spin moves on Isaiah Prince and he's charging at Burrow he's he's so good at the subtle movement in the pocket and and just kind of stepping up sliding avoiding pressure but he's really good at making that guy miss at, at knowing the rush angle and sidestepping it, spinning out of it and avoiding the big hit. And I just, I, I do think there, the Raiders will put pressure on him with four, but because they don't blitz and who knows, maybe they, maybe they rip up their game plan and, and do come after it. But with Burroughs history against the blitz and the whole, you you don't want to try to do anything crazy difference, kind of dance with what brought you I, I do think we're going to see just mainly four man rushes, and you're going to have five O linemen blocking four D linemen. You got it. You have to like your chances there. You're not going to win them all, but I don't think it's going to be 
a long, sore day for Joe Burrow. You don't have to like anything about this offensive line. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This matchup. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. We've talked about how they've turned it over to Burrow in the passing game a, a lot recently. And, you know, 971 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. We've rattled those stats off a lot. Those have come in games that he's gotten beat up. <laughs> I mean, he got his damn nameplate ripped off, for God's sakes. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's what it's looked like. And there's, there's a point of pride in that with this dude. And you kind of count – you do kind of count on that. And I do think that's a, that's a big part of what you are relying on in this point in confidence – calling those plays you know I asked Brian Callahan about that yesterday you know when that point came and really we've we we have kind of tracked that for you and how many times in the last five weeks really Burrow took off and ran for a first down and 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 you've seen that progression that was when to me when it really changed because that's when you're less worried calling the dropbacks and feeling like it's gonna look like you know Philip Rivers back there, right? Just standing there and eventually gets mauled over and doesn't move. Yeah. Uh you know, you're 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 not uh worried about it because that is really when we talk about and we're gonna have a hear a lot, and everybody that talks no microphone this week everywhere in the city is, is gonna talk about that, about all oh, the, the pressure and the hits that he could take. And you're you know, it's once you knew that it that he can get away from that much easier. You're just so much more confident saying, I'm, I'm still going to drop them back. I'm, I'm not going to worry as much about this the, the line mismatches because he's going to make a guy miss. He's going to work that pocket. He's going to take off if he needs to, and we're going to exploit. And, and that's where they've found so much of their power, whereas I, they were not comfortable calling those plays against the Raiders that the first time. That's why that game looked that way. That's why Joe Mixon had 30 carries and, and you know, Burrow only threw for 148 yards. You know, that's why that game looked that way. And I think you'll see much more of them being willing to accept it, not because their O-line's better. It's worse. There's no Riley Reef. But because they understand that Burrow's much better in that respect right now. Yeah, because another thing that we've talked about a lot is how much they like to get in the empty sets. And if you do that, you feel more comfortable doing that against a team that's not going to blitz you and make you pay for that. And the other thing is you send you send five guys out in coverage it opens up the middle of the field, and that's exactly what Burrow can do. If his first or second read's not there, he can tuck it and run for five, six, seven yards, get a first down, or or turn a first and ten into a second and manageable. Um, there, there's just so many advantages to the way the scheme wise that the Bengals want to attack the Raiders. You know, personnel wise, you give the D line, the Raiders D line, the advantage here. But I, I think the Bengals can overcome that with with some of the things they like to do and some of the things they do best. I do have a stat for you, though, and don't blame the messenger. But do you know what the Bengals' record is for sacks allowed in a playoff game? The Bengals' record for sacks in a playoff game. Allowed. Sacks allowed, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that. Four? Uh, it's three, and it's happened twice. Uh, Ted Hendricks of the Raiders in 1975. Oh, by a single player? Yes, yes, I'm sorry, by a single player. By a single player, okay, well. Yeah. Okay. 
So, and it was Ted Hendricks in 75 of the Raiders and Greg Townsend of the Raiders in 1990. Wow. So Raiders, Max Crosby, watch out. Three sacks. Just mark it down. Yeah. I mean, don't bet against the trend. <laughs> the trend from 1975. <laughs> uh, a a two-piece uh, two data point trend. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And one that hasn't been a part of the trend for 31 years. Uh, <laughs> that That's fair. Uh, you know, I just think there's there's the other thing I wanted to point out, you know, so much that's going to be, okay, Burrow's not throwing interceptions, but you're, you're worried about what? Sack, strip sack, mm-hmm. hit from behind. Jay, let's talk about turnovers, which are obviously going to be such a massive part of this game. The trends are pretty wild here. You, Jay, of course, you have stats. Rip me off some turnover stats. I need my turnover stats. Well, we start at right now, the current. The, the Bengals have gone four straight games without a turnover. That ties the franchise record. Um, only one other team this year in the league went four games without a turnover, and that was the Packers. And only one team did it last year, and that was the Packers. And they actually did it twice. They did it on two separate occasions. And only two teams did it in 2019. And one, yes, was the Packers, and one was the Cardinals. They went five games. It's just of all the things that they've turned around and fixed throughout the course of this year, That's that has to be the most important because that's what determines playoff games more often than anything are turnovers that they determine regular season games too. And you look at the flip side Raiders, 12 turnovers in the last five games that, I mean, they're, they're minus 10 in turnover differential over that span. If the Bengals can hang on to the ball and get a couple turnovers, you got to feel good about their chance. Even if they don't get the turnovers teams that do not commit a turnover in the postseason in the last 10 years are 29 and 11. That's a 725 winning percentage. I think everybody would sign up for whatever else happens as long as they don't turn it over. Here's the thing, Jay. This is the the defining trait. How, how many times have we talked about this with this team? Toxic trait. Mm-hmm. They fixed their toxic trait. Found Early on, they found a way to limit their toxic trait by running it more and being more conservative. Now Burrow has been so good at protecting the ball. They've been so good at not turning it over despite the way they've been playing. It's allowed them to be more explosive and kill their toxic trait. How about this? Bengals this year, games when they are even or win the turnover battle, 9-1. and one. Games when they lose the turnover battle, 1-5. and five. There you are. So if you're talking about trends that you love, trends that you like, trends that define playoff games and have, to a greater extent, defined this team all season, they are a big arrow pointing towards the Bengals when you talk about the Raiders with 12 turnovers in their last five games and the Bengals with none in their last four. That needs to continue. That doesn't mean that it won't look different on Saturday. But man, when you know that and you know how this team has won and more importantly, how they've lost this year, you love that. Yeah, that, that nine and one number, we're, we're not counting the, the week 18 game against the oh, Browns. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, we're throwing that one out because they did win that battle two to nothing and then they, they still lost the game. But you're right. They, they fixed their toxic trait of, of not turning it over, but the defense has really stepped it up too on, 
on that side of it and getting more turnovers. They finished the year with a dead even turnover differential. They were at the bottom of the league almost the entire year because they they so early in the year they had a, a few games where they had a lot of turnovers uh, on offense, didn't get any on defense, and they got behind the sticks, so to speak. And with what they've done over these last four weeks, not turning the ball over at all and the Bengals' defense getting turnovers, they worked their way back up to dead even and finished 16th in the league right in the middle. Very, very, very important things to remember um, when we come to Saturday's game. All right, speaking of Saturday's game, um, let's dive in even more. And let's bring in our good friend from ESPN 1530, Mo Egger. I feel like... We don't need to talk about your tweets today, Mo. Why? Because I didn't send any good ones? Yeah. Partially. Okay. Well, partially I mean, that's you fair. didn't that, have any good ones this week. Do I ever really send any good ones? Yes. You you send out ones that are good for me and good for this segment <laughs> often. Uh and but that's fine. You you actually were in Memphis helping cover for UC basketball mm-hmm. this weekend. So so and I also had no interest in tweeting about Sunday's game, so we're kind of on the same page there. Yeah, so um, obviously with Dan Horde having uh, Bengals play-by-play responsibilities, somebody had to fill his uh, very large shoes on the uh, basketball broadcast. So I saw live, uh, they were the local game down there, the Bengals and Browns. I, I feel bad for the folks in Memphis who only had that game. But I saw Jamar Chase get his catch, and then I went to FedEx Forum, and then I went back to the hotel and I thought, do I find a way to access this game? Does it matter? Is it important? I had sort of followed along what was happening on Twitter. And uh, I think I made the right call in choosing no, because I, I don't know that I, I don't love preseason football. That was preseason football. It was preseason football. But yeah. now we have the exact opposite of that on Sunday. Before we get to discussing that, Jay, do you, can we at least check in on most stats for the week? Uh, yeah, we can. Um, he had 108. He's back in triple digits. Whoa. Whoa, right. promise, you yes. promised you'd be back, and you were <laughs> yeah. back with a vengeance. <laughs> and, and we don't need to go into it, but I do. My favorite of the 108 was the idea of putting a sports book in Chuck E. Chuck e. Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, Jay, you're you're long since past Chuck E. Cheese age. Paul and I are right in the wheelhouse. Mm. I've. I've had to take my daughter to Chuck E. Cheese actually on an NFL Sunday, and there is nothing I wanted more than the opportunity because Chuck E. Cheese has legalized kids gambling, right? It's I mean, <laughs> they might as well just put slot machines in there. Um, the, the idea that you can go into Chuck E. Cheese, she can gamble, and then I can make some live bets. I mean, come on. Can't ask for anything more. Chuck E., make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, so... I'm sorry. I'm so, I really want that to happen too. Although I mostly want to never go into Chuck E. Cheese. I have yes. I have managed to work my way through not having to go into a Chuck E. Cheese yet, and my plan is to never have to do so. But if it does, at least we know live betting in Ohio bat on the board now. So at least we know right. we, can, we can lean on that. So we went to Chuck E. Cheese a couple of months ago. Chuck E. I don't know if all of them serve beer and understand it had been since I was seven years old, since I went to Chuck E. Cheese, but they, the one in Florence, at least there's, there's beer tabs. I looked this up and so, all right, I'm like, cool. Maybe there's some TVs. I could at least drink a cold one and something was wrong with the beer taps. So we couldn't get any beer. Oh. So no beer, no gambling and uh, a lot of children, most of whom were not mine. So, uh, <laughs> Chucky, first of all, get the beer thing straightened out. Second of all, apply for a gambling license. 
Mr. Cheese, I believe, is where yes, you should start yeah, that exactly. conversation. Yes. Uh, all right, let's let's talk about the playoffs. I'm not going to bring up a tweet. Uh, I, I'm just going to say <laughs> su- Saturday, Bengals, <laughs> Raiders. Your your nervous tension level from one to ten is is where because I think some people would look at this team and say I have no reason to feel necessarily nervous about this team, but it's this franchise and it's this moment and all of that has gone into it. Where where do you think the fan nervous level is from one to ten? I think it, it's sort of anecdotal. I think it if you if you view this this team in this season as sort of a fresh start and you're not holding this franchise's history against this particular team that I'm not sure the nervousness level is that high because the Bengals most recent playoff appearances were just dogged by recent history and not so recent history. And just sort of sometimes the finality of if they don't do it now, it's never going to happen. I think most of us view this game on Saturday as the first of many postseason appearances at the same time, things are set up almost a little bit too perfectly. And typically when that's the case, things don't go great. I'm reminded of the San Diego game in 2013 when they got the opponent that everybody wanted them to play. They had just gone on the road the month prior and beaten them. Um, The Bengals were a six-point favorite in that game. It felt like this is it. This is the crowning moment. It's going to happen. And then it didn't. And so I think there's always a fear that um, right when it feels like things could not be set up any better, you're playing a team that just played this 70-minute epic, the last game of the regular season, now they've got to play the, the, the first game of the postseason after flying cross country. It, they just beat them by 19 points in Vegas a month and a half ago. It just feels almost too perfect. And when you're a Bengals fan and something feels almost too perfect, it doesn't feel right. But I don't I don't gather that there's the same apprehension slash dread that accompanied the last two Bengals postseason losses. Because I, I felt like in 2014 and 2015, there was the sense of, how are they going to screw us again? How are they going to break our hearts again? What are they going to do? How, how bad is it going to be if they, if they do it to us again? I don't get the sense. I don't get that sense this year. But sure, I, you know, it, it, if you want to stop talking about three decades of not winning in the postseason, it really couldn't be set up any better for you. And so um, I think it's going to be really interesting to gauge where we are by the time this game shows up on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, if you talk about dread, the, the 2014 game, there was dread because of all the injuries. 2015 mm-hmm. dread because it's the Steelers and they had seen what the, the, they had done to the Bengals before. Plus, you're playing a Hall of Fame coach, a Hall of Fame quarterback. None of that's in play here. You've got, I mean, yes, first career playoff game for Zach Taylor, first career playoff game for Joe Burrow, but first career playoff game for Basachi, first career playoff game for Derek Carr. So it's kind of a level playing field there. It, and And I think what you said is the biggest point where – it does feel as cliche as it as it is that that there's always next year that that really rings true because it feels mm-hmm. like this team is on the rise. It's not like one playoff loss and then they're going to fall off the cliff. Although, you know, that was something that TJ Hushmanzada said. And when I talked to him about for our playoff drought story was you, there are no guarantees. You you mm-hmm. you always think we're we've got good players. We've got good coaches. We're going to be back. And that's not always the case. So you players and coaches can't think that way maybe fans are allowed to think that way but nothing is guaranteed there's it looks like they're on the rise but you just never know yeah I, and i think that's where i am um i i certainly don't believe this is the last time joe burrow is going to lead the bengals to the postseason but I, you know you don't you don't know that's the thing about sports you simply don't know I, I said this yesterday that i think you know prior to this year 
Uh, three of the last five Bengals seasons ended with the starting quarterback in week one, not playing week 17 or week 18, right? Because uh, 15, Andy got hurt. Uh, was it 17 or 18? Andy got hurt last year. Joe got hurt. So, I mean, there've been a number of seasons where the quarterback gets hurt. That's just a part of, of life in this league. And so you hope that doesn't happen, but it could. Their greatest asset right now seems to be health, knock on wood because of how COVID-19 looms over everything every NFL team is doing this week. But all their main guys are healthy. All their main guys are available. You know, the last playoff game, they went into it with a backup quarterback. <laughs> Say what you want about AJ McCarron. He was a backup quarterback mm. um, in 2014. They were never going to beat the Indianapolis Colts with all the injuries they had. And then you found out the morning of the game that Jermaine Gresham was hurt. Even in 2013, as much as things felt like, boy, they're really set up for success. Andy Dalton was okay that year. I think he was like 18th in the NFL in passing. You're going into a home game. You're a significant favorite against the team you just beat. Your quarterback certainly should be in the MVP discussion. I would make him the 2021 NFL MVP. You don't know when you're going to be in this sort of position again, where you're you're, you're just the, the stars are aligned. And I just for and I'm just tired of as much as you might not think the Bengals should be in the conversation to be a Super Bowl contender, and and I believe they should be. Uh, because you want to first, hey, you got to win a, a playoff game first. I just want them to to just do that. Let's let's put the whole three decade drought behind us. Let's stop talking about Bo Jackson for Christ's sakes. And you can't do those things if you don't win this game on Saturday. And so, um, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I, I certainly hope we don't confront this reality. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how people would handle a postseason loss because I think there'll be this weird mix of. Yeah, the franchise is going in the right direction, but good God, how do you not win that one? How do you fall short in that one? So hopefully that's not where we are on Saturday night, but I think it'd be fascinating to, to gauge where people are mentally uh, in the aftermath of, of a loss that, that I don't think is going to come, but if it did, it would be interesting. All right, let's just take a quick break. It's the prime opportunity-ness of this. I mean, it's it, it's it's the fact that you just can't lay it out any better that that makes it feel tense because mm -hmm. it, it, in behind the curtain, when we were going through what we wanted to do, uh, you know, when they clinched after Kansas City and talking about what stories we wanted to write, we had some time because of the way it's set up to really dive into something. It was like, well, we got to write about the drought, right? Like, I don't mm -hmm. want to, but this is the cloud over this franchise and right. there's no way around it. And it's not about these players as much. I mean, that they maybe will eventually be affected by it. I don't have to listen to us drone on about it or whatever, but for fans that you're trying to reconnect with for the ownership group, for all, everybody that has, it has, it has discredited every good thing they have done over the last really 20 years. Mm -hmm. Because it always ends in, yeah, but you didn't win a playoff game. Oh, you had five consecutive awesome drafts in a row. Yeah, you didn't win a playoff game. What did that get you? Right? Every single time. And it discredits everything. We talked to John Thornton. He said it would validate everything that they have been doing and really erase a lot of what does hang out there. And and that's so true. And you just it won't it is not an issue with this team, but it, you know. 
I thought another thing that was interesting that was said in that piece was it did burden that team from 11 through 15 because it built on itself. It, mm-hmm. It's not a thing when it's when it's one time. It's not even a thing when it's two. It's when it stacks on itself and it goes back three decades is when it builds. That's why this one is really the one where you're not worried about that. And that's why as fans, you are worried about it because you don't <laughs> want to see that thing creep back in with this group. There's no reason it should exist. Yeah, I mean, I think, Paul, you said it to me last week. This feels like a different franchise entirely from the aesthetics to just the feel, um, the personality, the quarterback, everything feels different. But if you really want to separate yourself from this franchise's history, you win this game on Saturday. Um, and and they, you know, we've said often this year they've sort of skipped a step. There's There's often that step, and maybe this was what they were in 2011, that step where they're this sort of plucky upstart that sneaks into the postseason and boy, you don't want to play them. And, you know, it feels like they're playing with house money. That's, that's not the case. And, and the opponent has a lot to do with that. I think it would be interesting to see how this game would have been framed had they played new England, because I think if you were to ask most Bengals fans, that's not the team they wanted to play. And, and I'll be honest with you from a, a roster standpoint, look, their secondary is very good. Mac Jones, I certainly don't think should be the offensive rookie of the year, but but had a, a very good uh, rookie season. It feels like they've got their quarterback in New England. Nobody talked about that. It was Belichick, right? Belichick versus Taylor. Well, instead, I mean, if if we if we were to do the the exercise, and I'm sure many did, who would you rather play? And you jotted down all the teams. Indianapolis would have come up. Maybe the Chargers would have come up. But if I would have said you could play the Raiders, especially given the circumstances under which they get a chance to play the Raiders given the fact that they played Saturday night in that crazy game that was just one of the most fun Twitter nights I've ever had just watching what people were tweeting, um, I think most would have said, yes, sign me up for a chance to play the Raiders. Well, here they are. I do think it's important that you take advantage of, of things like this. And, and again, you you don't you simply don't know, man. Windows close quickly in this league. You don't know when you're going to have a chance like this. But yeah, there, there's a part of me that's like, God, I, I sort of wish that they had the year where they snuck in, they were a, a lower seeded team. They were a wild card. They played on the road and it's like, Oh, let's just let it all go hang out there in that stadium on Saturday. There's going to be a sense of, we have to get this done. This has to end. I'm not sure that would have been the case had they played on the road. And I'm not sure that would have been the case had they played, uh, had they played new England. But um, if they do win the game, I, I think I've thought about this for my entire adult life, I guess. Um I'm a big New York Knicks fan, as as you guys know. The Knicks won game two of a playoff series that they lost in five games this year. They won game two at home. They beat the Hawks. Now, the Knicks have won one playoff series in 20 years. The release of emotion after that game, one game, one game in a series that didn't go the distance that they lost. And the release of emotion outside Madison Square Garden, people were kind of laughing and going, God, Mo, look at the Knicks. And I'm going, dude, that's nothing. If the Bengals win a playoff game, (laughs) what that scene outside Paul Brown Stadium could be like, I know the weather is not going to be great, but what that scene outside Paul Brown Stadium, you know, let's just, it's going to be like eight o'clock on a Saturday night is going to be ridiculous. And um, as much as we sort of dread the, well, what's it going to be like if they lose? Think of what it would be like if they won. Think of what it would be like to spend next week talking about them being two games away from the Super Bowl. Um, that That's extraordinarily exciting to me. and That's extraordinarily fun to think about. And I hope fans allow themselves to think about that because 
that's kind of the fun of all this, right? They may do this on Saturday. And those of us who have been waiting decades, who have spent literally our entire adulthoods waiting for this team to advance in the postseason, there's a very real possibility that they do. And if they do, the party here is going to be unbelievable. That that party you're talking about is is exactly where I wanted to go next. And going back to what you talked about, picking your path and laying it out. And if you if you could script it ahead of time. So what would you rather have? Would you rather have the Bengals come out, score on their first possession, get a turnover, score on their second possession? They're up by they're up by double digits early and they just kind of ride it out or they trail once or twice in the second <laughs> half and they have to come up from behind like they did against the Chiefs. And it all just comes out at once, because if it's if, if you kind of feel it coming over the course of three hours, maybe that celebration and that party isn't quite the same as if there's that angst for 60 minutes and then the release at the end when they win it. So in 2010, the Reds clinched the National League Central, as you guys know, on a walk-off mm-hmm. homer off the bat of Jay Bruce mm-hmm. uh, against uh, Houston's lefty Tim Burdak. And it's uh, one of the most iconic moments in the history of Great American Ballpark. And they were always going to win the division. But when the ball went over the wall, there was this release of 15 years. And it happened. It happened so suddenly. You know what I enjoyed more? Two years later, on a Saturday afternoon, when they clinched against the Dodgers and they took the field in the ninth inning up by six runs because the party <laughs> had been underway forever. That's what I want. Um, in, in 2013, um, somebody that I know may have snuck a bottle of champagne into Paul Brown Stadium. Not me, but, but somebody that I, I know. And the idea was, and I'll probably, ble- I'll probably be blamed for them losing the game because of this. The idea was, in the fourth quarter, we were going to open it. And just count down the minutes, and it was going to be like New Year's Eve. That's what I want. I want to be up 44 to three in the fourth quarter. Like, you ever watch some of those blowout Super Bowls where, like, the, the, the guys already have the t shirts on? I, I, I think I, I might mention this to you guys. When John Madden passed, I had some time off, and I go down this John Madden wormhole because I just, Madden and Summerall were the voices of my youth. And I found the, the 90, the 89 season, the San Francisco 49ers beat the Broncos like 55 10. And in the fourth quarter, like Roger Craig's got his T-shirt on, their pads are off. There's a uh, lineman smoking a cigar. I want that scene. I want that scene in the stands. I want that scene at sports bars. I want that scene on the field. That's what I want. That's I want. I want the New Year's Eve. I now will, will I take? Hey, they they win it at, on a McPherson kick at the gun, or they overcome a ten point deficit in the second half. Sure, from a, a dramatic standpoint, that would be unbelievable. From a storytelling standpoint, that would be unbelievable. But in the moment. There's there's nothing like counting down the moments to when, you know, something big is about to happen. And so that's what I'm rooting. I'm rooting for the blowout. I'm rooting for they're up 28 nothing and people are talking about going to Nashville at halftime. That's what I want. All I'll say is this in regards to feelings of this game and and how you want it to look is just remember it's it's the line that I used when we sat at 50 West on the Thursday before the season started and we talked about <laughs> predictions and we talked about where this season could end and we did make fun of Eli Apple quite a bit and we probably deserve <laughs> to be hit up for that a little bit. Uh, but don't bet against Joe Burrow. No. At this point, don't bet don't bet against Joe Burrow. And and that's why, you know, I think that's what everybody hangs on to going into this is why would you go into a game like this feeling even partially nervous when you know nine is your quarterback? What are the playoffs about? Playoffs about who's got the best quarterback? Mm-hmm. Who's got the best quarterback? Whose quarterback plays the best? Whose offense hums the best? 
I, I know who has the best quarterback on Sunday, Saturday. Yeah. No, I know I, who I, has the best quarterback. I, I did this exercise. On, I did this exercise on the air. If you go back to those previous seven playoff games, I mean, you know, okay. So TJ Yates, Andy Dalton, Andy's rookie year, maybe slight advantage Cincinnati, but, but not a definitive one. Uh, oh, oh, nine Carson wasn't great in oh, nine. Was he probably better than Mark Sanchez? Yeah. But I mean, that, that team was defense and running game and they were also running on fumes. Oh, five slight lean to Carson, but he didn't play the game except for his first pass, you know, 14, Andrew Luck, 15, big Ben 13. Let's be honest. Probably Phillip rivers here. It's, it's a clear edge, nothing against Derek Carr. Um, and give the Raiders a lot of credit for all the crap that franchise had to deal with this year. They got here. That game on Sunday was insanely fun, um, but they have Joe Burrow. The Bengals have Joe Burrow. They have the better quarterback. They have the better team. I mean, they just top to bottom. I, I watched that game in, in Las Vegas. Jay remembers it because Sammy Hagar performed at the half, but I, <laughs> I watched that game. Bengals, Bengals are the better team. Joe was not particularly explosive. He threw for like, what, about 170? 148. Yeah, and you know they didn't empty the bag offensively. By the way, I think that game was really the season's pivot point because you know two losses by a week. Boy, it felt like this could start circling down the drain, and they got the season back on track. But Bengals have the better team; they're at home. The circumstances could not be better. It's going to be cold. You got to win this one. <laughs> Forget history. Just in a vacuum, you're supposed to win this football game. Go win the football game, and I'm with you. If I have Joe Burrow going into this game. And you have Derek Carr. My money's on number nine. As someone who wants, I was going to say, as someone who once failed to sneak alcohol into Paul Brown Stadium in my younger days, (laughs) uh, I I wish you luck with the champagne if you guys do it again. Um, Well, you probably should. Snow pants are required. (laughs) I mean, you know, this is back in the days of the pat downs, which were comically inept. I once saw somebody hold up two flasks as they're patting them down, and they didn't even like look above his eyes. And I'm, I'm, I just thought I was amused. So a guy snuck in a champagne bottle in his snow pants. It remains one of the most remarkable sneak ins I've ever seen. Uh, aside from the fact that uh, a woman that I know helped me smuggle 16 bottles of uh, airplane bottles of Jack into Neyland Stadium in, in Knoxville. That was really cool. That's the best thing I've ever seen. Um, but the champagne bottle in the snow pants was big back in 2013. Oh, that's great. Uh, for everybody, just you know, for everybody that's trying to sneak alcohol into the game on Sunday, yeah, don't, they sell don't it in do there. that. I don't. Yeah, they do. I don't want to get a, a note from the Bengals. <laughs> hey, Mo, you're advocating sneaking boot. Don't D- buy the buy the beer there. Go drink. You could take a bottle of champagne to like the Holy Grail or one of the bars at the banks, and they'll, they'll keep it on ice for you. Mm-hmm. So enjoy it afterwards, win or lose. I guess I love it. Uh, all right, Mo, it's been a pleasure. I will see you this afternoon on ESPN fifteen thirty from three to four, as we always do. Yes. See you guys. Thank you. All right. Always great to chat with Mo. And uh, before we wrap this up, Jay, you you've got uh, we got a run passer boot just to drop, and we're gonna have multiple run passer boots this week. We got a fun one here for today when we talk about what's gonna happen this weekend. You got you have a run passer boot for me. I do. Uh, most people don't want to talk about Bengals playoff history, but that's where we're gonna go for this run pa- run passer boot. Uh, we're gonna look at history and the longest. Rushing play, longest passing play, and longest field goal in Bengals history and see which one do you think is the most likely to be broken on Saturday against the Raiders. Is it the longest field goal, which is Mike Nugent, 57 yards against the Colts in 2014? Is it the longest running play, 
which is 47 yards by Cedric Benson in 2009 against the Jets? Or is it the longest pass play, which another thing you guys don't want to remember, it was 66 yards from Carson to Palmer to Chris Henry on the play where Kimo Von Ohoffen tore up Carson Palmer's knee in 2005 season. Well, this is a tough one. It for is. They, a couple of different reasons. We have the word run and pass in the <laughs> run, pass, or boot, and it's going to make it very confusing. <laughs> that alone is going to make this difficult. However, it's also hard because a 66-yard pass, I mean, you could have an insanely explosive game and not touch 66 yards. You know, a 57-yard field goal in the snow, I mean, highly unlikely. A 47-yard run, have we seen Mixon do that all year? I don't think so. No. So you're you're really I would say all of these are pretty unlikely. Yeah. And it's going to be very hard to say what we're trying to say. So I'm going to just I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> I <laughs> I am going to run with the pass <laughs> of 66 yards or more. Just because at least we've seen Burrow do that. We've seen Chase do that. We know they can do that. This is, can be a very explosive team. Even though the Raiders are going to be trying to stop it, I'm going to go ahead and say Jamar Chase, maybe a, an under, maybe a yak, maybe a yak long one. But I'm going to say, so I am going to run with a pass that's actually a catch and run <laughs> for my run. You with me? I'm really not, but no, I'll, I'll nobody go back should be. Listen. That's how hard this is to say. <laughs> I am going to pass on the run. So I'm going to pass on a run, maybe being longer than 47 yards by Joe Mixon or whoever. Samaj P. Ryan, maybe breaks one as they run out the clock. Uh, and I am going to boot the boot, going to boot the field goal. <laughs> I just I think conditions cold, fifty seven's already a long way to go. Even forever McPherson, uh, I'm gonna boot that length of of a field goal. So I am running with the pass. I'm passing on the run, and I'm booting the boot. I'm just gonna make this easy and say ditto, because <laughs> <laughs> I agree with everything you said. Uh, I, I, Mixon's longest run this year is 32. Obviously, they have had longer passes in 66. They've had multiple longer passes in 66 this year. Um, but yeah, that's it, it. No matter what, I mean, I think that would be the way you would go anyhow, regardless of team. Just the the, the passing plays tend to be longer. Um, so I'll I'll go the exact same order you went. We need to recap last week's growler bet. Yes, we do. Um, which was going to be the time of the game that the Bengals gave up the second sack, which tied the franchise record for most sacks allowed in a season, the time of game of that. And Jay, what did it end up being? It ended up being 11-15 of the second quarter. And... My guess was 11-11 of the second quarter. And I've always been a proponent of the three-second rule. You you insisted on the five-second rule. So I, if I was a listener, I would have won free beer. Well, next time we see Optimistic Bobby, you can tell him about that. <laughs> see what his response is. 
I'm sure he'd be happy to give you some, Jay. I think the sack itself came at 1111. Because as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, there it is. I looked up and I saw the 1111. But when you look at the actual the game book, the snap occurred at 1115. But that is that is in that five-second window. If you're listening, Bobby. Congratulations. Congratulations to you, Jay, for being our big winner. Everybody else, nobody was even so close. No, nobody quite got in, got that close to the, you were really the big winner of the day. Good for you. A lot of, a lot of second quarter guesses, but nobody, and a lot of 12 minute guesses, but yeah, nobody, I don't think there was even another one in the 11 minute window, let alone being within five seconds. So we move on and we will have some more run passer boots and growler bets and all that stuff for you. Uh, coming up later this this week on the Thursday episode, the episode where we will also uh, we'll talk to our good friends out in Vegas. Jay, we figured out is it going to be Vic or Tashan? It's going to be Vic. He joined us uh, back in November, and he's going to do it again. So looking forward to that. See how that team has changed. Vic and Tashan Reed uh, are they are great. Um, and you can, if you want to get some insight, what's going on there, State of the Nation, their podcast over there on the on the Raiders side, um, coming off of, uh, and also they have really great stories coming off of the Sunday Night Insanity, uh, to Sean on the delirium after the game and 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 everything. It's just really good stuff and, and insight into where you know they're at in one of the wildest seasons you will ever see a team overcome to still make the playoffs. I mean, you've just never really seen anything quite like it when you consider how, what it all took just for the Raiders to even get to this point so um if you if you're looking for raiders insight make sure you're following them on twitter um and reading their stories over there on the other side uh of the site and we'll hear from uh vic vic on um thursday so we'll have all that coming for you and much more planned uh for our thursday game preview show as we get rolling towards saturday's game and then of course the walkout saturday after uh whatever goes down in the first the latest opportunity, I should say, to break the the drought, the the cloud that hovers over the franchise, and maybe it will be removed, and the party will commence. Jay, everyone will take their bottles of Jaeger to the Hamilton Arby's, and it will be on. <laughs> I think you can make that sneak in happen. <laughs> That's a much easier <laughs> sneak in. I think, that, yeah, they're fine with it. <laughs> and what goes better with like that? congealed cheese over top of the old roast beef than a nice bottle of champagne. Really just like peanut butter and jelly. I, I was I, I was going to stick with the original premise of Jaeger. <laughs> now, Jaeger actually, I think, is kind of meant to go with a Arby's roast beef sandwich. That really is yes. a hand-in-hand combo. That's a lunchbox meal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to the podcast. We, of course, will be back on Thursday for a preview of Sunday's playoff game. So uh, have a good one, everybody.